I want to open by reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and this will not be up on the screen. Look it up on your Bibles if you would. I'm reading from the NIV. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and uh, we're going to read the first seven verses. So 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 7. And here's what Paul writes. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So we're talking today about the grace of giving going above and beyond. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to the point in our service where we open your word and we allow it to speak to us and we open our hearts to the voice of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would help us to do that. I know that we've come, uh, some have come with a burden that they might be carrying. Others, maybe they're looking forward to something later this week. And all these, th all these things might cause us to be distracted. So I pray that you would help us to focus on what we have read and what these words and these teachings mean to us today. Speak to our hearts today, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I grew up in the church as a son of a pastor, so I'm very familiar with church life and I've seen a lot of changes as it relates to church life and as it relates to church services. So let's talk about just the church services themselves. It's a lot different than back, say, in the 60s when I was a child, in the 70s when I was in, in junior high and high school. In terms of the services, we, we had a lot more services back then. And even into, of course, the 80s and perhaps even the 90s, there were... Uh, we went to we were in church Sunday morning, and it was always a Sunday school, and then the worship service, and then and the Sunday evening service, and then growing up we had a Tuesday night service. That was a youth service, right? That was the only service that was uh, possibly in English, but not necessarily, right? Then on Thursday we had a women's service, and on Saturday we had the men's service. That was a uh, the the least attended service of the week was a men's service. And then the very next morning, get up and, and do it again, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday evening. And uh, nowadays that has changed. So very few churches follow that kind of schedule. Perhaps some do. Uh, so that has changed. But also the order of service 
the way that the the order was conducted was is very different than what it is now. It it was a little more participatory in the sense that people would get up and share prayer requests or would get up and share uh, a testimony, we called it, you know, a praise report. Or somebody would say, I got a special song. Well, come up, brother. And they come up and they sing. And they say, well, I didn't practice this, but, you know, it's for the Lord, so it doesn't matter. Like <laughs> God's not important, but they would say that. No, that's just for the Lord. He knows my heart. And they would sing, and sometimes, you know, they... Well, they hadn't practiced, and sometimes, you know, they weren't that prepared. And, and so I was, when I was in high school, I was, the, uh, I was a church pianist, and even in college. And so they just say, like, give me a key. And I say, you know, you start singing. It's easier if I just, you know, f- find where you are and then, um, you know, start following you, we would call it. So, uh, so things were a little bit different back then. Uh, seating arrangement. How many of you remember the seating arrangement growing up? Now we're going way back, and and maybe this was just our culture, and some of you may not relate to this, but in our culture, as Hispanic Pentecostals, we we had uh, you know the two sections, middle row. All the women sat on one side, on this side, and all the men sat on this side, and. I mean, never would they sit. I've the husband and husband and wife sitting together was like scandalous. What? You know, this was all all the men would sit here and all the women and all the young men over here and all the young women. And uh, so, I mean, that. How many of you remember that? Some of you, yeah, some of you do. Yeah, several hands going up. Remember that. Uh, and then, you know, the manner in which the offering was received was also uh, different back then. We always came forward to bring our offering, and the offering plates were up here, and we wouldn't pass offering plates or offering bags or whatever it might be. We wouldn't pass them out. We didn't have ushers to do that. Everybody would come forward. We'd sing a song. Always a fast song. Everybody would come forward and, and bring their offering, and, uh, and some churches still do that. I kind of like to do that. Uh, I am the secretary treasurer of our uh, section, the San Angelo section of the North Texas District. Somebody's got churches. And so it's my responsibility to receive the offering when we have our sectional fellowship meetings. And once in a while, I'll have them come up and, and, and bring their offerings. That's the way it was done. And then, and, and again, when it comes to offering and the way we receive the offering, things changed even more during COVID. Because in, uh, since COVID, we don't pass the offering bags or offering plates around. And uh, like Benji explains every Sunday, we have an offering box in the back, and you can... You know, and, and you all do great with that. Leave your offering there if you want to give in person or give online or through your bank and all the different ways. So that's different. And whoever thought of giving an offering online? And there have been some people who have resisted that. Like, no, I want to give it the way it was meant to be given. Writing a check. <laughs> Look, well, okay, so what, you know, what happened before writing? What happened before checks was around, were around? You know, it was always, ca- always cash. And, uh, so, I mean, things always change. And, and so, and, and that's what I want to talk about, uh, talk about our giving. One thing that probably has not changed regarding the offering is that I think, my understanding is that there has always been, there have always been those who have tried to manipulate people into giving through guilt or other means. I, I found a, a quote that I want to share with you, and it's something that was uh, written by uh, Dr. Warren Wiersbe, who is a very well-known American Baptist pastor. He passed away recently, last five years or so, four or five years. And um, he, he, he wrote prolific, prolif, what's the word? Very prolific in his writing. 
and, and his preaching as well. And so I, I found this, look, listen to this quote. During my years of ministry, I have endured many offering appeals. I have listened to pathetic tales about unbelievable needs. I have forced myself to laugh at old jokes that were supposed to make it easier for me to part with my money. I have been scolded, shamed, and almost threatened. And I must confess that none of these approaches has stirred me to give more than I plan to give. In fact, more than once, I gave less because I was so disgusted with the worldly approach. Then he says parenthetically, however, I have never gotten like Mark Twain who said that he was so sickened by the long appeal that he not only did not give what he planned to give, but he took a bill out of the plate. <laughs> Another good reason maybe why we shouldn't pass the plates anymore. <laughs> well, what we read today is um, Paul's appeal to the Corinthians for an offering. He's receiving an offering, but he's not manipulating them. He's not guilting them into giving. And we're going to look at that, but uh, just a little bit of background. The Apostle Paul was on a, a journey, and, and part of what he was doing on this missionary journey was he was receiving an offering or a collection, as he calls it, to, to help the poor Christians in Judea. These were Jews. So he wanted to collect money from the Gentiles to help the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Uh, that was his, his main uh, purpose. But he also had something else in mind. Uh, Paul also wanted to unite the different groups of believers. Because you know, first, you know, we had the Jewish believers and the Gentiles came in. And so there was still a little bit of, a, uh, of a, a maybe friction be between them. And uh, he also thought that uh, non-Jewish Christians, uh, the Gentiles, owed something to their Jewish believers. So he's wanting to receive this offering to help the Jewish believers, but he also felt like this would help bridge the gap between them. It was a way to show the Jewish believers that the Gentiles were not against them, but they were part of the same body of Christ. And so the Corinthians had known about this from actually a year earlier, and they had committed to giving this offering, but then they didn't follow through. They weren't contributing as they had promised. And uh, this was probably because, you know, they weren't very spiritually strong at this time. And in fact, some were, were taking money for themselves, not so much like taking it out of the offering plate like Mark Twain said he did. But they weren't just, they were keeping money for themselves instead of giving it to help others as they had promised. But again, Paul didn't use guilt or any kind of false emotion to encourage the Corinthians to give this offering. He tried to encourage them to give by emphasizing that giving is an act of grace. He believed, he believed that giving was not just about money, but it was a way to show God's grace working in their hearts. When God works in our hearts, there are many uh, fruits of that. And one of, one of those is that we give. So he's teaching them that true giving happens when it comes from a heart full of God's grace. And he also was teaching them that Christians 
that when Christians truly understand and practice giving out of grace, and it's going to show in their actions and their attitudes, it becomes a natural part, giving generosity, giving things away in, in, in worship, giving an offering, helping somebody in need, just being generous with the things that God has given us as part of what Christians do. And then, so he begins by giving them the, giving them the example of the Macedonians, who he tells them, they gave as much as they were able and beyond even their ability. And he's challenging them to do the same thing. Now, he's not trying to create a competition between these churches where one church tries to outdo the other church in raising money. You know, it's, it's not a competition. And he wasn't guilting them like, you should do better. Look at these Macedonians. They're so poor. And you ought to be ashamed of yourself. He, yourselves. He never says that, but he just uses them as an example. You know, sometimes we need encouragement. Sometimes we need examples. Somebody to, to, to see like, oh, you know what? I could be doing that and I, I should be doing that. But uh, he, he's just really not even talking about how much they should give, but their willingness and their attitude in giving so he's basically saying, look, if you, if you want to compete with the Macedonians, then compete in having the most joyful and eager hearts to give. That's really what he's talking about. He, he doesn't say how much they gave. He says out of, their, out of their poverty, they gave willingly. They begged for the opportunity to give. So he's talking, he doesn't mention amount. He just says they had a desire to give. And so... They were wanting uh, to give, even though the Macedonians were going through a very, very tough time. They were generous, and this generosity came from their hearts. And this is what mattered to Paul. So then, in verse 7, the last verse that we read in this uh, passage, let me reread this. He writes this, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And I, I, I like the way that Eugene Peterson writes this in his paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. He, he writes it this way, You do so well in so many things. You trust God. You're articulate. You're insightful. You're passionate. You love us. Now do your best in this too. He's talking about the grace of giving. See, they were great. They were, they were strong in their faith and their speech. As the paraphrase says, and they were articulate. I love to hear speakers or anybody who is articulate. You know, just they know how to use words that are given by God to really penetrate our hearts. And he says, you're articulate, you're insightful, insightful, you have this knowledge, you're passionate, you, you, you love us, all great things. And uh, he could have said, you know, that's, I mean, that's awesome. Thank you for doing that. But he said, that's not enough. You're excelling in all those things. You're going above and beyond in all those things. You're making a mark for yourselves in these areas, but where I, I need you to excel, where you're not excelling, is in giving. And again, they had a desire to give. They started off well a year earlier. They said, yeah, we'll, we'll give toward that offering for the poor people in, in uh, Jerusalem. But they hadn't followed through. 
So Paul challenges them and gives them some help in following through. So I, I want to just talk briefly in my remaining time is how do we do this? How do we excel in giving? How do we go above and beyond in giving? How can we give as the Macedonians did in the midst of great trials and, and great poverty? They didn't give because they had so much money left over. They, they gave, they, they, they excelled in giving even though they didn't have enough for themselves. So what can we learn from what Paul is teaching here? I, I would tell you the first thing is this, to be able to excel in giving, to uh, go above and beyond in this grace of giving. I think we need to learn first to give ourselves to God's people. I would challenge you, or Paul does actually, to give yourself to God's people. And we read this in verse 5. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 5. And he's talking about the Macedonians. They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Now we talk a lot about surrendering to God and surrendering our lives and surrendering our, surrendering our schedules and our finances, our relationships, everything we surrender to God. But here Paul is saying, they not only gave themselves to God, but they gave themselves to us as the ministers, as their teachers. They understood that giving their lives to God meant giving their lives to God's people. And see, this is so important. It's consistent with what we read in the scriptures that we don't live in a vacuum. It's not just me and Jesus got a good thing going. It's just not me and Jesus. We live with God's people in community. And we must especially learn to give ourselves, not, well, certainly to everybody in community, but especially to those who are in the front lines of ministry, to those who are opening the way for the gospel to be preached in areas that have been closed to the gospel. I find that when uh, ad adults who have been through the school system and now they're adults and they've got children in the school system, when they step, when, when they step foot in one of the schools, one of the local schools, is like they're out of place. Like, wow, this is so different. And if any of you have ever been in, in, in one, of, especially one of the secondary schools, especially one of the high schools, you, you look around, you see the kids, and you see, you're like, wow, this is so different. You feel out of place there is, is what I've heard from you know, men, especially men, uh, youth pastors and pastors who have gone into the schools. You know, they, it takes a time to adjust because uh, that's not what they're used to. But there are people who are working in the schools. There are people who are working in the colleges, like the Chi Alpha uh, campus ministers that we partner with. And they're, they go to the universities and they're able to make connections that we can't. They're in the front lines. They're, uh, there are people and they're on that list, that infographic that you got today. They're on that list. They're able to go and, and connect with people in Africa, in Europe, in South America, in countries that we would feel very out of place because it's not our culture. And so I think that we need to learn to give ourselves to those who are on the front lines of ministry, those who are opening the way for the gospel to be preached in places that are not familiar or comfortable to us. We support several missionaries, as you can see on that, 
uh, infographic. We support several missionaries on a monthly basis. And I have to tell you that I've given myself to them. Some of them for years. I think about them. This is, this is what this means. I think about them. I pray for them. I talk to them. I invite them to our church when they're in the States uh, raising funds for their next term. I'm committed to them. That's what that means. I'm committed to them. And many of you have given yourselves to our partner missionaries as well. I see it. I saw it last Sunday when uh, you came forward to pray for this young lady, Tori Jacobson, when you gathered around her. And uh, I was up here and I was watching your faces and as you prayed for her and as you, as you hugged her and as you gave her words of encouragement. And so this is what I believe Paul is talking about. He's saying the Macedonians were able to give a lot because they gave themselves to the Lord. And they gave themselves to us who, who are in ministry. But again, it's not just missionaries that you've given yourselves to. You've given yourselves to this church. You've given yourselves to the people of this church. Uh, I'm, I'm talking in terms of giving ourselves to the missionaries, but just to the community that is, is made up here at Solid Rock Church. You've given, your, you've given yourselves to the people of this community. There is an African proverb that says, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to raise a child. And, and that, again, it's a proverb from, it comes from Africa, the villages in Africa. And, and, and I, think, uh, I think it's very important. I think it's true that this, this proverb says that an, it's, an entire community of people is necessary, not just to be there, but to provide and to interact positively with children, for those children to grow up and to experience and grow in a safe and healthy environment. I think that's true. I think it's true, but I think it's also true that it takes a village to accomplish most things effectively. It takes all of us working together. It takes all of us living together as, as uh, Christians. It takes all of us giving together and supporting missionaries together to, to accomplish just about anything effectively. And as a church, we can impact lives in other cultures and, and subcultures if we give ourselves to God's people, especially those in ministry. So... I would say, first of all, give yourself to God's people. But secondly, I think we learn from this that we are to give freely from what we have. Give freely, Paul is teaching here, from what you have. I want to read a, another portion of Scripture. This will not be on the screen, so look it up in your Bibles. This is the uh, same chapter, verses 10 through 14. So 2 Corinthians 8. Verses 10 through 14. And I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation. Here's what Paul wrote. Here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year you were the first who wanted to give. And you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Now I love, let me interrupt myself, I love what Paul is doing here. He's such a, a great leader. He's not shaming them. He says, you promised and you left us all in a lurch and, and uh, you, we weren't faithful. He just says, look, you promised, great job. I'm just going to encourage you to, you know, to finish. Just, you started, now just finish. He's just encouraging them. Then he says at the end of verse 11, give in proportion 
to what you have. This is very important. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. Right? That's one of the conditions. Be enthusiastic when you give. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. He just said that in verse 11. He says it again in verse 12. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. You know, sometimes we want to get away from giving financially by saying, well, I'll offer my support, I'll offer my encouragement, I'll, I'll offer my prayers, and that's good, and we should do that. But the bottom line, and what Paul is talking about here, is that God does ask us to give financially. Now, what he's not asking us to do, and it's very clear here with the way Paul is explaining this, he's not asking us to be careless with our giving. He's not asking that. But the truth is that love for God and for God's people will show itself in monetary offerings, among other things. Now, some of you very sharp people might see here that it, it seems that this passage contradicts the, the first part of the chapter where Paul holds up the Macedonians as an example and it says they gave what they were able and beyond their ability. In other words, even beyond what they were able. And now here he's saying, look, give according to what you have. Don't give from what you don't have. Just give from what you have. And it seems like those two are contradictory. But the, the fact is that some of the Corinthians were resenting the fact that and maybe this is why they had stopped giving, that they, they felt that they were giving more offerings than other churches. And Paul is just telling them, look, you've been blessed more than other churches at that state, at, uh, at that time. You've been blessed more than other churches. So because you're more prosperous right now, he says, just give from what you have. That's, that's the explanation. He's tell, telling them at this time, you're more prosperous. Just give from what you have. Now, Paul is not teaching specifically on tithing here, but let me say this. The same principle applies. This is the principle of tithing. In verse 12, verse 11, and in verse 12, he talks about what is a principle of proportionate giving. The principle of proportionate giving. He says, give from what you have. So it's basically saying the more you have, the more you give. This is the proportional giving. You know, tithe is a 10%. 10% is, is, uh, is proportional giving. And it's the only fair way to give. Because tithing, proportional giving, doesn't rob anybody. It's fair to the poor and to the rich. 10%, you know, is 10%. It permits everybody to receive God's blessing as they give. Right? It's not the portion... But it's a proportion that God is interested in. Now, this is the only way, Paul says, that there could be any equality in this project. Because the Corinthians were saying, no, we're giving more than all the other churches. We're going to just stop giving. And Paul says, no, just give according to the way you're being blessed. Give proportionately. And it's equal. He says at the end of this passage, in verse 14, this is the only way that we can have equality. In this whole passage, in the, uh, not passage, but project, and this whole offering uh, of, of giving. God doesn't send more blessings on the person who gives 10% of 500 than He does to the person who gives 10% of 100. 
He's, he, he's going to bless them both equally, you know, as long as they're being faithful, right? So, I mean, people who oppose tithing are opposing to really the, the, the fair way of giving. It's a genius plan that, uh, that the Bible gives us. The bottom line is that we can be a blessing to other people by giving. It must be a voluntary offering, Paul says, but it should be a generous offering. So then finally, our third point today that we draw from this passage is this. Give regularly for maximum impact. Give regularly for maximum impact. If we want to have maximum impact, then don't do it in a hit and miss manner, but do it regularly. Whatever regularly means for you, it's going to be different for everybody. We have several people here at Solid Rock who have set up um, recurring giving to when they get paid automatically their tithe comes in. This This is so... Uh, so different from the way we did things right back in the 70s and 80s. Those of you have been born that, been alive that long. To, to think that your tithe, first of all, to think that your paycheck would just go directly to your bank and then your tithe would go directly to the church or the ministry because you value, because you automate what's important, right? Maybe you've automated your, your car payment because you don't want to miss that, right? So you automate it so the bank sends it in. And you check once in a while, make sure it's automated. Or you automate your house payment. How many of you have done that? Because you automate what's important. And some, some Christians have automated, including some here at Solid Rock, have automated their, their giving uh, because it's, it's important. And, and if it's regular giving, by the way, you don't have to do this. I'm just saying that the, the idea here is that if it's regular giving, it maximizes the impact Instead of it being every once in a while when we think about it. And this was important to the Corinthians because they were eager to give, but they hadn't followed through. So Paul gives them a plan. He gives them a plan. He sent Titus and another man who was of rock-solid reputation to, to, to go pick up the offering. And, and this was not the only time that Paul did something like this or that he came up with a plan. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 16... In his first letter, first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 16, and verses 1 and 2, he writes this. Now, about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money, listen to this, in keeping with your income. There's a proportional giving again. You should set it aside in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. What's he teaching here? He's teaching a regular giving. Regular giving. One of the things that, that will help for maximum impact when we give to our missionaries is to do it regularly. Regularly. Many years ago, I was a very young, very young pastor. And uh, this was probably early 90s. And I uh, was reading a, one of our, well, it was at that time our Minister's Magazine, our Sundays of God Minister's Magazine, we would get every month. Uh, it was called Advance. And I was reading a story, and it was a made-up story, but it, it made a good point. And so the story was that there was this church somewhere in the Midwest. They were having a snowstorm. It was Sunday, and two different churches, two different pastors were getting ready for their Sunday night service. 
both pastors were having a missionary that night. And so each pastor's looking out they're, you know, they're looking out their window at home, thinking, wow, this snow is getting really bad. I think we're going to have very low attendance tonight for our mission service. And, and one of them said, I, you know, I just, we're not going to be able to give as much to this missionaries I would like to give because uh, we're not going to have that many people here. And meanwhile, across town was another pastor looking out the, the window at the same storm, thinking, oh, this is going to affect our attendance. I don't think we're going to get that many here. It's a good thing, he, he said to himself, it's a good thing we have a missions fund. So even though we don't have a lot of people come, we can still give the missionary a good missions offering. And the whole point was like, you know, have a missions fund. You know, Have, have a fund set apart just for missions. And so we've, we've done that. Uh, from the beginning of our of our church, and it's happened because so many of you give regularly. We're able to to have maximum impact and maximum effect to give uh, missionaries when they they send out an appeal or when they come to visit, and their whole purpose is to preach God's word to us and to share their ministry and to receive you know their their financing for them to be able to return back. And so Paul is saying, look, just do it regularly. On the first day of the week, he says. And not just the first day of the week. Did you notice he said, on the first day of every week. Because that was the day that they would get together for worship. That's why he's saying that. Regular giving. Now, one of the things here that uh, he was also teaching was how we can give. So he, look at 2 Corinthians 8.3. And I'm about to finish this. 2 Corinthians 8.3. He says to them, for I testify, speaking of the Macedonians... I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. They gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. What he outlines for us here is two ways to give. And we're going to say two ways to give to missions because this was a missions offering that he was, he was receiving. Two ways to give to missions are these. Number one, as much as they were able. Number two, beyond their ability. So I'm going to challenge you with these two ways to give. Number one, give as much as you are able. Okay, that's regular giving. That's proportionate giving as much as your budget allows. But also be open to allowing God to speak to you to where you might be able to give, or, or you might give, not that you're able, but you might give beyond your ability. See, that's two different levels right there. One is as much as you're able... Regular giving, that's what that means. Uh, as much as you're able means you do it regularly, not just every once in a while. As much as you're able means proportionate giving. As much as you're able means true giving, not just symbolic. You just, you know, put a bill in the offering every once in a while, but it's based on what you're able to give. It's proportional giving. It, 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 like I said, it's, it fits your budget. That's as much as you are able. But... Sometimes God may call you to give beyond your ability. And let me tell you here, just like Paul said, Paul told the Corinthians, give from what you have, don't give from what you don't have. What he was telling them was, don't be careless, don't be reckless. So even if you're giving beyond your ability, I am not asking you, nor was Paul asking them, nor is God asking us, to give recklessly, to be reckless in the way we handle our money. He's not saying that. But if you, hear a, if you feel a stern in your heart, and God says, I want you to give this month, or this much rather, to missions. Well, God, I don't know if I can afford that. 
And maybe it's, it's not proportional. Maybe it's out of proportion a little bit. It's more than, than what your budget allows, but you feel God stirred in your heart, and, and He's saying you can do it this one time, or you can do it on a regular basis. We call this a faith promise. And the reason we call this a, a faith promise is because it's not based on our ability to, to pay it, it, it's like a pledge that we might make, but it's based on God's capacity to provide for us according to our faith. And so, again, don't be reckless. I remember many years ago, we were living in Corpus Christi, my wife and I, and there was a, a young couple, uh, actually they were, uh, I think they were older than us, a little bit older, but... Uh, the husband had a good job. He was an architect. He had a good job living in a, in a big house. But he began to practice his giving according to what he was learning from a TV evangelist at that time. This is back in the 80s. TV evangelist, evangelist is still around, by the way. And, and so his TV, this TV evangelist told him, send, send me your money and God will bless you. And he told him this, don't pay your bills. God will help you pay your bills. And he didn't pay his bills and they lost his two-story house. We're not asking you to be careless or reckless. But we're asking you to be open to what God may be speaking to your heart. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to pray and then we're going to commit to give to missions as a faith promise. Now what a faith promise... A faith promise to us is a sacred act. It's an agreement you make with God. It's a spiritual agreement that with God's help, you're going to give a certain amount through our church that can be used in the mission field to evangelize people in other countries or in other subcultures here in the States that are without Jesus. It's a faith promise. It's between you and God. We're, ask, we're going to ask you to let us know what God is stirring in your heart to give on a monthly basis or a weekly basis not so we can go bother you about it. This is between you and God. We'll never come to you and say, hey, what happened to that money you said you were going to give? We're not going to email you, call you, go to your house to collect. Never. We'll just remind you it's Mission Sunday. Bring your missions offering. It's between you and God. But we want you to put it down in writing as a, as a commitment that you're giving yourself to God's people and you're challenging yourself to be generous with the things that God has blessed you with. How will you give? Well, you can give as much as you're able. Or you can give beyond your ability. If you feel that God is leading you that way. So I'm going to invite you to, to pray. And then we'll move forward with our faith promise giving. Let's pray together. Father, none of us here can deny that you have blessed us, you have prospered us, materially, financially. Here we sit, Lord, on a warm day, in a very cool building, wearing nice clothes, good cars parked in the parking lot outside, and going home to houses that are comfortable with water and and uh, all the other utilities. We're blessed, dear God. And I thank you that I stand before a group of people that knows that. Because I've, I've seen how they're faithful to give. We're able to partner with missionaries because of their giving. And I'm so thankful, dear God. We're, we're thankful that you provide. And I thank you that 
Your people know that you provide. And so today, Father, we're just going to take a step forward in putting our faith into action. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. What would you have us give, Lord, today for missions? What would you have us give? Do you want us to give proportionately as much as we're able? Or do you want us to go even beyond our ability knowing that you will provide? You will provide. Speak to us now, Lord, as we wait for the voice of your Spirit. And that tugging of your Holy Spirit in our hearts to determine what we are to give. We pray this in Jesus' name.